Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. Uh, one of the things that I uh, did when I was, in, uh, I was taught while I was in seminary was the importance, not tying my shoe, but the, the importance of, uh, of journaling. Uh, my ethics professor particularly said journaling is, is a good tool that God can use to help you as you minister. He said you can write down what you're experiencing in life and how God dealt with you during that time. So what God taught you and what God reveals about yourself. Uh, if you were privy to this information, uh, I, I used to be better at it than I am now, but if you were privy to all the, the journals that I have in my my office, which you are not privy to, but if you were privy to them, you would see how God has spoke to me through a particular passage, how God revealed Himself through a certain situation or circumstance in my life, and how God shaped me during that time. Uh, it's, it's a valuable tool that God has given me. I don't think it's quite what my seminary professors had in mind, but nevertheless, it's been something that I have used periodically in my life. About 800 years before the uh, time of Christ, God inspired a man to write down his life, to write down his story, and, and to use that as an encouragement to us. And we have that preserved for us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the book of Hosea. Hosea is an interesting book, and as we delve into Hosea, you will see uh, what I'm talking about. And the central theme of the book of Hosea is God's amazing love for His people. God's amazing love for His people. It's a wonderful book as we look into it and we see that even though God's people continue to rebel, even though they continue to stray away from God and commit spiritual adultery, God still loves them and He still pursues them and He still maintains that relationship with them. So open your Bibles to the book of Hosea. You're going to see it's the first of the minor prophets. It's right after the book of Daniel. I think you've got Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. And so if you get to Daniel, you're pretty close. Uh, get there and you'll find it. Hosea, we're going to look at Hosea, and we're going to be looking at these words for the next several weeks. I don't know how many it's going to be. I've got a date, but I can't remember. I think it's 15, 16, 17 weeks uh, under the theme, God's amazing love. God's amazing love. And up for us and for his people. Today we look at Hosea chapter 1, verse 1, as we kind of just understand who this man is and, and where he's coming from. So we're going to look at Hosea 1 1 under the heading, When God Calls. So listen as we read these words. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash king of Israel. We see first in this passage that God calls specific people. God sent more than a series of sermons to the people. He sent a man. And this man's name is Hosea. And we know that God spoke to Hosea in, in many ways and especially through his experiences. Now we have very few details about this prophet Hosea. From what we can glean from this passage is that he was the son of of Beery. That helps us none, because we know less about Beery than we do about Hosea. But we also know that the name Hosea means salvation. 
And the name always has something to do with the message of the individual. But other than that, that's all we know about the man Hosea. We know that he was a home missionary because he was from the northern kingdom of Israel and he preached to his own people. So he was a, what we would call a North American missionary. In those days, it would be a northern Israel missionary. So that's who he was. He was a home missionary, so he preached the people he loved to the country that he loved. Uh, God could have called anyone to the task. There were other prophets on the scene during the time of Hosea. He could have called Isaiah. He could have called uh, Micah. He could have called Amos. But he didn't call those three. He called Hosea for this people, for these individuals. He called Hosea specifically, just as he had called other prophets in time. Jeremiah understood this because Jeremiah said, "Before I form, God said, said to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Let me just digress for just a second. If God knew Jeremiah when he was in the womb, God knew you when you're in the womb. God knew you before you were born, just as he knows every other child who's never been born. He knows them. So if God knows them, guess what? That means they are valuable to God. And so, so that's a, a great passage to use at Jeremiah 1.5 for this context of modern day society. What's the value of life? God says, I knew you. Before I formed you, I knew you in the womb. But we don't need to just confine this to the Old Testament. It also continues over in the New Testament, as Paul says in Galatians 1.15, But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by His grace. Paul, the persecutor of the church, the one who, who, who wreaked havoc upon the New Testament church, God knew him before and called, set him apart at birth to be His disciple, to be His apostle to the Gentiles. So even before Paul had became, become a converted Christian, God knew him. God had called him. And we see this throughout the New Testament. As a matter of fact, it will lead Paul later on to write in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It was he, Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. God calls specific people. For those things. Paul understood that God calls specific people for a task. So here, here we're saying, we're not talking about salvation here. We're not talking about God calling you to salvation. We're saying that God calls you for a specific task. Every, hear me on this, everyone is called, but God calls specific people for a task. Not everybody can be a prophet, but everybody is called to listen. Not everybody can be an evangelist. But everyone is called to be a witness. Not everyone is called to be a teacher. But all of us are called to be taught. Not all of us can be a pastor. But all of us are called to be in the church. So what is the relevance for you and I according to this passage? As God calls specific people in the past, guess what? God calls specific people today. He still does. I have no doubt in my mind that God called me to pastor. I have no doubt in my mind that God called me to preach. I was a youth minister when I first started my ministry, but I knew that was not God's calling for me. 
He had something else. I don't know why. I had no experience as a preacher. I had no talent as a preacher. I had no gift as a preacher. But I knew God was calling me to proclaim the gospel. I knew He's called me a preacher. So after 11 months serving as a youth minister, I took my first church in Marlin, Texas. God called me to be a preacher, a pastor. Just as I know God called me to the ministry, are you ready for that? I believe God called me here. I don't know why. I have no idea why He called me here. But I believe with all my heart that God called me to serve as pastor of Western Heights Baptist Church until He no longer calls me. I believe He's called me to be the pastor of this church. Why is that important? Just as God has called me to be pastor of Western Heights Baptist Church, you have to believe that God called you to this church. You have to believe that. If you do not believe that God called you to this church, you're never going to discover your purpose. You're never going to discover why God put you here. You're never going to do it. If you don't believe that God called you here, then by golly, go find a church where God calls you. You've got to believe that God has called you to this church and to invest your life in this church until what? Until God calls you someplace else. You have to believe that. If you don't, you're never going to fit in. You're never going to be a part because you're not going to discover that calling that God has in your life. So God calls specific people. Notice what else. God calls people for a specific time. As we look at this passage, we see that he gives us some reigns of some kings in, during his, his time of ministry. We know that Jeroboam uh, ruled from 793 to 753 B.C. We also know from historical facts that Hezekiah ruled in, in uh, Jerusalem and uh, Judah from 729 to 686 B.C. Now, we don't think that Hosea served that entire hundred years. But from what we can deduce from, from within the text, within the passages, we believe that Hosea's ministry was from 750 to 722 B.C. Why is that significant? Because he was the last prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel because Israel fell in 722 B.C. So these would be the last words that God gives to the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, you have to understand the situation that was going on when Hosea was ministering. These times that, this, that uh, Hosea was ministering were the most blessed and the most chaotic time in the northern kingdom. Uh, you have to know that during the reign of Jeroboam II and during the reign of Uzziah, king of Judah, it's been called the golden age of Israeli, Israel history between the two divided kingdoms. It was during this time of the divided kingdoms of Israel, the ten tribes of the northern part, and Judah, the two tribes in the southern part, that there was a called the golden reign of prosperity. During that time, Judah and Israel experienced no outside attacks upon them. So for 40 years, they had peace. And during that time, Jeroboam II could then begin focusing his, his time upon building up the infrastructure of the northern kingdom of Israel. And so money increased. Trade increased in the, in the land of Israel. And because of that, what we see is, is, is people got very wealthy. The northern kingdom became very, very wealthy. But along with wealth, other problems began to arise. They began taking advantage of other people. And just as wealth increased, poverty increased as well. 
And many people became enslaved, and they began suffering from injustice, and they began suffering from abuse. All that mattered in the northern kingdom was wealth. Wealth was all that they were interested in at that time. So because of that, they became morally corrupt, and they left the worship of God to follow the worship of Baal, to follow the worship of another God, which really wasn't a God. And throughout the prophecy, Hosea keeps bringing it home with the problem with the northern kingdom. In chapter 4, verse 6, he says the people have no knowledge of God. In chapter 4, verse 17, he says the people are are committing spiritual adultery. In chapter 5, verse 13, Hosea condemns them for their lack of faith. In in Hosea chapter 7, verse 10, he says that you are full of pride. In Hosea 11, verse 7, he says you have no true worship of God. And then in chapter 12, verses 7 and 8, he accuses them of materialism. Charles Dickens could have wrote it. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. This is what was going on in the land of Israel at that time. And God sent Hosea at a specific time. God always does send people at a specific time. Galatians chapter 4 says that Jesus came at a specific time. Paul said, when the time had fully come, God sent His Son. When it was the right time, God sent His Son to the people. God still does that today. And let's up. At the appointed time, at the right time, Jesus will come again. He will come. But it's in God's timetable, not our timetable. In the meantime, we ought to be serving the living God and doing what we can for Him. Probably one of the greatest illustrations of this is in the book of Esther. Did you know the book of Esther never mentions God anywhere in it? It's never mentioned in the book of Esther. But you see his stamp all over it. The book of Esther is an interesting book. Esther was a a Jewish woman who rose to be queen of the land. But there was a plot in the land of Babylon to annihilate all the Jews. But here she was queen. And so her her advisor, Mordecai, her, her uncle... Mordecai came to her and asked her to plead the case of the Jewish people. But in order for her to do that, that means that she had to identify her ethnicity, which would be as a Jew, which would mean she would literally put herself up to be killed as well. But Mordecai said these these infamous words. He said, who knows, but that you came to royal position for such a time as this. How do you know? that God did not put you in that situation at that specific time. And obviously did because she went on to save her entire people. God still does it today. He called Esther at the right time for a specific time. He put Jesus in there at a specific time. He put Hosea on the scene at a specific time. And he still puts people on the scene at a specific time. Many of you do not know this. I was called the pastor Western Heights in 2014. I think June, I think I came in June of 2014, maybe May, but June of 2014. But you don't know I had my resume in here before that. I had my resume on here between Mike Patterson and Shelton Markham. During that time, 
that you were looking for. I don't have the exact date, but I know I did. And so I think it was somewhere during that time. But y'all didn't call me. That wasn't God's time. Now it's God's time. God has put me here now. He didn't call me back then. He put me here at this specific time. He called a specific person at this specific time, just as he called Hosea for a specific time. I believe what's true of Esther, what's true of Jesus, what's true of Hosea, what's true of pastors is true of you. You're here today. God has called you at this specific time in the nation, in our country, in our city, in our church. This is where he's called you to be. So God calls specific people. God calls people for a specific time. Stay with me. God calls people with a specific message. Look at verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea. It didn't come to he, Hosea's words to say he didn't get this from another prophet. Uh, he wasn't following the, the ministry of Isaiah or Amos or Micah and just reciting what they were saying. He says, no, this is not a fabrication from other people. This is a revelation from God that Hosea received. And so because it's a revelation from God, the people ought to listen and the people ought to obey. Hosea listened and he obeyed to what God had in store for the people. Now the message that God gave to Hosea is closely tied with the anguish and with the heartache of the messenger. We'll get more into that next week. It's going to be hard for us to get our, get our arms around this. But in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of his heartache, God gave him opportunity to share about God's love for his people. We wouldn't think of suffering, we wouldn't think of heartache as an opportunity for ministry or even training for ministry. But that's exactly what happened with Hosea, is God took his life experiences and communicated a timeless message to the people of Israel. And like any good actor in a play, Hosea does not just merely mouth the lines, but he lives out the part that God has called him to play. Hosea was chosen to reveal the heartache of God, and he did this through his own heartache with his marriage to Gomer. And he said, but that becomes an illustration, that becomes an example of God's love for an adulterous people. And God used that. But the message that, that Hosea had was God's revelation to him, and that was Hosea's authority. Hosea's authority was a message that God gave him. And that same authority exists today. But you'll be surprised how many people do not believe that. You'll be surprised how not people do, truly do not accept the Word of God. Now, I know there are people out there in our pulpits across the land, they pervert the gospel. I know there are people out there that they twist it to say what they want it to say. But I am convinced the majority of our pastors that stand in our pulpits preach the Word of God. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that they preach the Word of God with conviction and with passion and with authority. But you'd be surprised how many people do not receive the message that those pastors have to proclaim. You know why that is? 
Because sometimes it makes us uncomfortable. I'll, I'll use y'all's terminology, you stepped on my toes. We don't like to have our toes stepped on. We don't like to be challenged in our life. We don't like to have fallen under conviction. We don't want to be confronted with disobedience, with sin, with our lack of faith. There's a story, a movie, that reveals this truth. You probably know this movie. It's called Dances with Wolves. You might have seen that movie, Dances with Wolves. Really good movie. Academy Award winner. Kevin Costner played the lead character. If you know anything about the movie, Kevin Costner was a, a Civil War hero, and he was given an assignment to go to the West. And he went out to the West to, to get to know the, the Indians and kind of savage a fort out there. And eventually what happens, he begins to identify with the Sioux people. He was the only one there, and he identifies with the Sioux people, and he adopts the way of life of the Sioux people, and his name becomes, instead of Lieutenant Dun, uh, Dunbar, I think, it was, became Dances with Wolves. And he adopts the, the, the people, the Sioux people. Well, they have a, a they eventually, the soldiers capture Dance with Wolves, and there's a, a confrontation that takes place at the river, and all the soldiers are killed by the Sioux Indians. And so Kevin Costner, along with his, his, his bride, they go back to the people, and he begins to tell them, he recognizes that if I don't leave, they're going to kill every one of you because they're going to track me down. I'm a fugitive. They will track me down, and they'll kill everybody here with me. So the Indians are all sitting in a circle, and one of the Indians who became one of his best friends, he begins shouting. He goes, no, 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 no. I will not listen to this. It is hurting my ears. And he gets up out of the teepee and runs out, refusing to listen to it. He knows it's the truth, but he refuses to hear what Dances of the Wolves has to say. Many people across the land in which we live are the same way. When they are confronted with sin and they're confronted with disobedience, they squirm in their pews, but they do not want to listen. They are uncomfortable, and instead of, a, instead of what they do, they attack the messenger. They attacked me. Well, I didn't like what you had to say. Uh, you, you made me uncomfortable. I, I don't necessarily a, agree with that. See, we're the same way. That's why one of the reasons I like to preach through books of the Bible. You know, I try to do that every couple of, every year. I try to at least do through one book of the Bible, sometimes two. We're preaching through Hosea. Next, we're going to preach through the book of 1 Peter. But we preach it verse by verse all the way through it. Why do I like to do that? Because the authority of any preacher is the Word of God. And as long as you stick to what God's Word says, guess what? You're not picking and choosing, cherry-picking what you want to preach. Instead, let's see what the text has to say. Let's deal with it. So then the authority becomes God's Word and not what I want to say. That's why I like to preach through it verse by verse in such a way. You see, we have to judge a preacher by the Word he preaches. And if a preacher stands in the pulpit and he preaches the Word of God, then there's another decision that you have to make. If you agree the preacher is preaching the Word of God, then what are you going to do about it? You see, now it puts the onus back on you. Thus saith the Lord. Now, how do you respond to thus saith the Lord? How do you respond to the Word that the preacher said? Now, folks, I realize I'm not putting myself up on a pedestal. I'm putting myself as a challenge from God to communicate His message. I better make sure I'm communicating His message. So you got a decision to make. 
You either receive it or reject it. But it doesn't change the truth. The truth is truth, whether you like it or not. But you see, God sends specific people for a specific time with a specific message. There's a book out that I read several years ago. Perhaps you've heard of it, Isaac Storm. The name of the book is a little, it's a little book called Isaac Storm. And, and the book has to do with the, the hurricane that hit Galveston in 1900. And in the book, it talks about, uh, the, the author talks about how the people of Galveston did not believe that a storm was going to hit Galveston. All the weather pro, pro, procrastinators, uh, procrastinators, <laughs> all the weather guessers had, uh, had told them that there was going to be a, a storm in the area. But nobody believed it because, one, a hurricane had never hit Galveston before. Now, a lot of people don't know this about Galveston. In 1900, Galveston was the third wealthiest city in the United States. A lot of people don't realize that. But it's the third wealthiest city in the United States. And nobody, oh, they've never had a storm hit Galveston, so one never will. They kept warning them that it was going to happen. And but even as the, as the water began to climb in, the kids were playing in the street in the, in the, in the water. Men were going to the diner eating like they always had, and nobody cared about the storm. Why was that? Because a man by the name of Isaac Klein, who was the weather forecaster for the region, the national weather forecaster for Galveston, said, it's not a storm, it's going to blow through. It's going to blow past us, and it's not going to affect us. So nobody heeded the warnings that were given to them about this storm coming through. And on September the 8th, 1900, the entire city of Galveston was wiped out and 6,000 people lost their lives because they failed to heed the warning of those that knew what was happening. We are often the same way. We fail to hear the message that's being communicated time after time after time, or we do not take it seriously. So what do we do? We continue living the way we always live. We continue doing the same things we've always done, and it's kind of like insanity, expecting different results when you're doing the exact same thing over and over and over. And we never notice the judgment that is fastly coming. We never noticed it because we're comfortable. We're comfortable. Like the prophet of old, Preachers today stand in the pulpit and preach, communicating the Word of God, hopefully trying to be relevant to the people. And he says, God's calling you. God's calling you to be a part of what he's doing in the world around him. What will you do when God calls? How will you respond? When God calls you to get in on what He's doing. I hope. I hope it's the one that God has planned for us. Would you join with me as I pray? Heavenly Father, God, we come before you this morning thanking you for this opportunity you've given to us to gather together. To worship, to pray, to seek your face. And Father, we pray now that you'd help us to turn from our wicked ways. Father, to turn from our, our complacency, our apathy. Father, just our tendency, Lord, just to be comfortable. And Father, lead us to go down the paths that you call us to go. To do the things, Lord, you've called us to do. Father, more importantly, to be the people that you've called us to be. 
to a city, to a state, to a country, to a world that vastly needs the message we have to proclaim. If Father, there is, gospel, there is a gospel, there is good news, and that good news is that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And that, Father, if people will turn to Jesus in faith, they will be forgiven of their sins, and they will be given new life. Father, it's a message for all people, young and old, rich and poor, male and female, the haves and the have-nots, the educated and the uneducated, those that have status and those that have no status, married, widowed, single. It doesn't matter. It's for all people. Father, help us to be about your mission, for what you've called us to be, to be your representative in a world that desperately needs your truth. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.